All right, we have the opportunity now to um, open up our Bibles, and if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you, or a device, I'd like you to turn to, um, really, if, even if you're here this morning, you're not very familiar with the Bible, you can take a look at my Bible and you see it's almost exactly in the middle. If you do that, you turn the Bible to the middle, you'll likely see the book of Psalms. And there's 150 Psalms in this book, and we're going to consider together um, a rather brief Psalm, and that's Psalm 134. All right, Psalm 134, it is entitled, A Song of Ascents, Song of Ascents. And um, you might be wondering, well, what, is that, what does that really refer to? Because there, there is a cultural and historical context here. And if you don't know, then um, I'll explain that uh, toward the beginning of the sermon, because we want a proper context for um, the psalm that we are considering now, so Psalm 134, and again, it's entitled A Song of Ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And that's it. As you probably understand, this is one of the shorter psalms of, of the Psalter. Um, yeah, in fact, in fact, it's the second shortest psalm of the Psalter. Now, for those of you who grew up with the Bible, maybe you know the answer to this question. Maybe you don't. What is the shortest psalm of the Psalter? Psalm 117. What's the longest psalm of the Psalter? Very near to that, Psalm 119. In fact, I think off the top of my head, you can check this out. I might be wrong, but I think there's 176 verses. 176 to uh, Psalm 119. Psalm 134 is the second to the last shortest psalm in the Psalter. And it, if, if you take a look, if, if you have, your, have a Bible with you, you'll see that there's only three verses. There are only 45 45 English words that comprise this psalm, at least in the English Standard Version. There are only 23 original Hebrew words in this psalm. Now, you imagine that, 23 words, that's it. And that comprises the text that we're going to be taking a look at this morning. And the reason why I go into a little bit of this background in order to articulate, really, the brevity of this song or this psalm, is, is for this reason. Because it's very easy for us, when we pull away from this psalm, after reading it, it probably took me, what, 20 seconds to read it, probably at the most. It'd be very easy with pieces of scripture like this to just kind of step back and, and not, really, not really psychologically and emotionally enter into the significance of the psalm. I mean, after all, it's very short. And when you, when you first read it, there's nothing really, I think, that really just kind of jumps out at you and go, oh, wow, I just never knew that was in the Bible before. So it's very easy to kind of, to not see the significance of the psalm. But here's the thing, two things to think about. First of all, if all of Scripture is inspired by God, that it is God-breathed, and if we believe theologically in what we call verbal inspiration, that is, not just the contents of the Bible, but the very words of the Bible are inspired by God, then obviously we need to, no matter where we find ourselves in the Scripture, no matter how seemingly insignificant, we do need to pay attention to it, right? And a second thing about this psalm, though it does not immediately jump out at you, 
when you begin to unpack it and really study it, you, um, you discover a number of things about worship, how we should worship, the heart of worship, posture, something that we don't oftentimes think about, and I'll talk about this morning, the posture or the use of the body in worship. Um, it speaks about two things. It's very interesting that in worship, we are called to bless the Lord, and He, in turn, as we do that, He blesses us. What does that really mean to bless the Lord? And also, when you think of this passage in light of the whole of the Bible, then you begin to understand also that, that when we worship in the way that the Lord wants us to, and when we bless Him and He blesses us, the new creation, the new Jerusalem, kind of comes down to us and we get a taste of the new creation and perfection to come. All of that really is contained in this very psalm. So let's get right into it. Psalm 134, again, if you take a look at it, I don't know. Okay, so there, there you have the words there. Um, you have the text, Psalm 134. Here, the, the, the title, actually that's just a sermon title, the end of the journey, but what's not there is actually the title that we find in the Word of God, which is the Song of Ascents. That's why I oftentimes encourage you. I really want you to think about this. I mean, we have a long history of just coming here and looking at the screen. Bring your Bibles with you. Bring your Bibles, because there are things that we discover that you don't always see on the screen. So I really want to encourage you in that, okay? And we see Psalm 134. It's, it's called, um, again, a Song of Ascents. And the reason why I bring that title out, because a lot of times people, when they study the Bible, they think that's an editorial insertion that that's not really a part of inspired scripture, and that's not true. So if you look at the original Hebrew, it's called the Masoretic Text. You'll look at that and you go, oh, that's in there. It's called a Song of Ascents, which raises the question, why is it called a Song of Ascents? And here's the reason why. I'll be short on this. This, is, this, is, this comprises a series of songs that our ancestors, God's people, would, would, would sing, actually, on their way to Jerusalem. So if you, if you have your Bible, if you would look back at Psalm 133, you see the title there. What is it? A Song of Ascents of David. Go back to Psalm 132. You'll find the same thing. Psalm 131, same thing. In fact, you can go all the way back to Psalm 120, and you read Song of Ascents. So the Song of Ascents is Psalms 120 to 134, and they are basically psalms or songs that God's people, our ancestors, would they would sing as they travel from wherever they were in Israel to the capital of Jerusalem in order to celebrate one of three Jewish feasts throughout the year. So you have Passover, and you also have uh, Pentecost, and then you have uh, what's it, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So these are the songs of a pilgrim people. Okay? Now you look at Psalm 134, and this is the last of the Song of Ascents. So this, this is a psalm of culmination. This is a song of climax. So here you have the people of God, and they're walking their pilgrimage, and they finally get to Jerusalem. And when they, when they, when they get to Jerusalem, they come to the culmination of their journey, which is what? It's not just Jerusalem, okay? but more specifically, it's the... Um, it's the Jerusalem temple. It's the Jerusalem congregation. It's, it's the, 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 the corporate body of worship. So, so they begin wherever they are in Israel, but, but in their minds, 
they're not only going to celebrate the feast, but celebrate the feast in connection with the people of God at the temple. And that's what's on their mind. So they go up and up. And it's called the Song of Ascents is because Jerusalem is known as a city on a hill. So it's upper elevation. When you think of the Song of Ascents, think of maybe going from Abbotsford and entering into the U.S. and going up Mount Baker. Many of us have done that. What's the top of Mount Baker, right? It's Artist Point. And when you go up Baker, it's up, 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 up. Now, Jerusalem is not the elevation of Baker, but nonetheless, it's an elevation. So that's why they call it the Song of Ascents. So they're, they're, they're taking their pilgrimage, and they finally get to Jerusalem, and you can sense the excitement of, of the psalmist where in the culmination of their journey, he says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Bless him. We've arrived. You know, um, Psalm 134 isn't, it's, it's, it's not just for the people of Israel. Let's, let's bear that in mind. Because if, if that's the idea, then the Bible simply becomes a historical study for us. Maybe interesting for some of you, but still a historical study. So what we have to do is we have to connect the psalm with our situation today, and we have to realize that like our ancestors who are on this pilgrimage, we too are on a pilgrimage. Now here's the thing, here's the difference. Our ancestors, the Israelites, took this pilgrimage in order to get to Jerusalem, and enter into the earthly Jerusalem and also be a part of the earthly temple and the worship of God's people. We're not on the way to the earthly Jerusalem. Our pilgrimage is on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem and ultimately the blessings of heavenly worship, the new Jerusalem and the new creation. A place without sin, a place without grief, a place without anything like that. So they were pilgrims and we are pilgrims. And like our ancestors, that pilgrimage, as you know, is not always, it's not always easy. You know, I am um, reminded in uh, doing uh, Casey and Abby's wedding and a number of weddings this summer, that when, when, the, um, when the young couples make their vows, and if they embrace the traditional vows, which they usually do, I usually try to encourage the traditional vows, and, you know, they, they make promises to each other. Riches and poverty, and in health and sickness, and all of that. And when you make those vows, you are reminded that, you know what? This, this life is not always easy. There's, there's wonderful moments in our lives, but many times it's difficult along the way. There are deprivations. Sometimes we lose our jobs. Sometimes we go into poverty. We have health but then we also have sickness and all of these things. So the Bible presents you and me as pilgrims in this difficult life on the way to the new Jerusalem, on the way to the, the, to the new creation. And praise God that in the midst of this pilgrimage that we go on, praise him for this, that what happens is that along the way, the Lord reminds us that we're not alone and that we're not bereft. We're not left empty and wandering. But along the way in this journey, God gives us certain measures of nourishment and encouragement. And where does that happen most poignantly and powerfully? Right here. Right here in the context of worship. 
And it's here where we, in the words of the psalmist, we bless the Lord in order that he may bless us in this journey. You ever think about coming to this place for the, for the express reason of giving a blessing to God? I would dare say most of us don't. Oftentimes in my mind, that, that word blessed doesn't come to my mind. I say to myself, I'm coming here to be with the people of God. I've come here to fellowship. I come here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I come here to worship the Lord. That word worship coming from the old English term worship, to ascribe worth to him and magnify his name. Those are the things oftentimes that go through our minds. But do you really think when you come to this place, you say to yourself, hey, I'm here to bless the Lord. Yet that's what the Lord calls us to do. Right? Oftentimes we think, well, we come to a place like this to receive a blessing because why give a blessing to God? God has everything. Like the psalmist says, uh, you know, God says that the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. What do you have that you can give me? Theologians speak about the aseity of God, that is, the, the, the self containedness of God. You know, that, that God is not dependent upon us. Man, we know we're dependent upon God, but we're. He's not dependent upon us. Bless God. Yet that's what we're called to do. For instance, let me show you some scriptures. Can you put on that first PowerPoint that comes from other Psalms? Psalms 100 to 145. Enter the Lord's gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and notice, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Right? There's nothing in there about us receiving a blessing. It's you and me, not in a passive sense, but in a very active sense, giving blessing to God. Bear that in mind when you come to worship, right? What does it mean to bless God? You know what it means? It means, in the words of another confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, it means to glorify God and enjoy Him. Enjoy Him. We think about glorifying God. Do you enjoy Him? Enjoy Him in worship. And do you, do you pray that the Lord would fill you with joy? So, so glorify Him enjoy him. It means offering to God with everything that is in our being, head and heart and hands. It means offering to him praise and thanksgiving and glory just for who God is and for all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We can do that throughout the week, right? But blessing the Lord comes to his most powerful his most poignant expression in this worship that we have here from week to week. So let me ask you this. When you come here again, do you come with a self-conscious thought, I've come to bless the Lord? Do you, do you, because, you see, we're not here to check off a box, right? And to say, well, you know, I, I think I've done the right thing. But honestly, my heart's not in the right place. No, we come here to bless, we come here to bless the Lord. That's true worship. And it's the kind of worship that God wants and the kind of worship that fills the heart, right?
All right. But a question that our psalm naturally leads us to ask is this. How do we do that? How do we actually bless the Lord in worship? And you think about that, we, we do that in various ways. We do that with our voices, right? Oftentimes when we think about worshiping God and blessing Him, we think, first of all, our voices. We think about the songs that we sing. Or we do that with our mouths during a time of confession. We confess our sins together, and we pray together, seeking the forgiveness of the Lord and the reconciliation that we have in Jesus Christ. We do that with our voice. We do that with our mouths. We do it with our ears, you're blessing the Lord right now with hopefully open ears, receiving the word, thinking about the word with our minds, ears, mind, heart, various different ways. Listen, we even bless the Lord with our taste buds. When we taste in the words of Psalm 34, when we taste and see that the Lord is good, when we taste of the bread and the wine and the Lord's Supper. So we do that in various ways. But what does the psalmist say? How do we bless the Lord? What's the words of the text? Lifting of hands. That's what he says. He didn't say through the songs that we sing, through the preaching of the word, although that's true. He says the lifting of the hands. Look at the text again. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of God. Now that refers primarily to the, the, the musicians and those who worked in the temple night and day for the sake of the Lord, refers to primarily those kinds of servants. But listen, broadly speaking, we're all servants of the Lord. He says, come and bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of God. Then he says, lift up your hands to the holy place. Or it can read like this. You can change the preposition to, you can also read as in. Lift your hands in the holy place, and then with those hands do what? You bless the Lord. How often, how often do you think, when you come to worship, how often, I mean, you maybe think about your mind and your heart, you think about your ears and all that. How often do you ever think about your hands? Think about your hands. You know, this isn't the only place in the Bible where it talks not just about the hands, but it also talks about bodily postures in worship. Can you put out the next text there? Those who bless the Lord, according to the Bible, bow and kneel. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. You know where that comes from? It comes from Psalm 95. These are words oftentimes that I will cite in the call to worship. Those who bless the Lord stand. Let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the inhabitants of the Lord stand in awe before Him. Or those who bless the Lord lift their hands. I will bless you as long as I live and in your name I will lift your hands hands. And then, um, before I cite Psalm 134 from the book of praise, I want to draw your attention to something. Um, I was just uh, reading that this, this morning, and if you have a Bible there, you can turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 6. Here's where blessing and bodily posture come together. Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord. Now, this is in the context of God's people being restored to their homeland, and then in the restoration of that homeland, it's Ezra who is gifted and called by God for the spiritual restoration of the people. 
okay? And as part of that restoration, he reads something that they hadn't heard for a long time in captivity. He reads to them the law of God, to the, to the adults and also to the children. And they're standing there listening to him, go on and on with the law of God. And then we read after that, Ezra blessed the Lord. It didn't say the Lord blessed his people. No, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. They lifted their voices, and they didn't hold back. Amen! Amen! And they lifted up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That is, now, that's not an official worship service, but that's a worshipful response, isn't it? Where they, 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 they crowd, amen, amen, they lift their hands, and then, and then they fall down. Have you ever done this? Even in your home, you fall down with your face to the ground. Bodily posture means something. Why? Because it expresses humility and praise. Now, back, back to the book of prayer. Take a look at that. This is kind of, is kind of interesting. We'll spend a lot of time on this. But here, we're going to be singing this after, after the preaching. Your hands in prayer and worship raise, adore him. It doesn't say toward his holy place, but in his holy place. And it says, come kneel before him in his house and extol his name with sacred vows. That phrase, come kneel before him, that's not even found in the psalm. It's an insertion. For some reason, the writers thought it would be proper, probably just drawing from Psalm 95. I don't think we have to make a big deal out of it. I kind of like it. Lift your hands, but also this. Kneel before the Lord. You're not going to be a Catholic if you do that, right? It comes from the Bible. Kneel before the Lord. Lift your hands. So here's the point. Here's the point in blessing the Lord. The main point of the psalm. We are reminded in, in the psalm and other places of the Bible that we are what we call psychosomatic beings, that means that we are not just spiritual beings or rational beings, but we are also bodily beings. And oftentimes, the body and the spirit and worship come together, and one over time informs the other. So as you lift your hands, then what you find is that your heart naturally follows, or if you come here and if your heart is heavy and you just don't feel very worshipful, sometimes when you raise a hand, the heart follows, or sometimes the hands follow the heart, but we are interconnected being. One other quote, if you'll put that up there, please. Somebody wrote this, for why do men lift their hands when they pray? Why do they do that? Is it not that their hearts may be raised at the same time to God? Anybody want to venture where that quote comes from? John Calvin. John Calvin. And we find the Apostle Paul talking about the lifting of holy hands as well, not just in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Okay, enough. Maybe we can talk more about this in the future, but for now we have to ask, what happens when we bless the Lord in this and other ways, when we give him full-orbed worship? You know what the answer is? He notices when we worship the Lord in a way that he calls us to worship according to the Bible, it's not that our worship just kind of dissipates into thin air. It's not that it, just, it comes upon deaf ears, the deaf ears of God or the blind eyes of God, but he notices. And when he receives the kind of full-orbed worship that we're called to give him, then he in turn blesses us. We bless him through our worship, and then he in turn blesses us. So take a look at the last verse. May the Lord then, says the psalmist, as you give him blessing, bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. May the Lord bless you from Zion, which we get back to the beginning of the sermon. Isn't that what we need? 
Don't we need blessing? Like I said, man, we're we're on a pilgrimage. It's not always easy. Life, life is not always easy. And we're on the way to the new creation. We're on the way to the new Jerusalem. And we need to bless the Lord so that he may bless us because we need his strength. We need his encouragement. We need each other in this. And we need to press on and we need the blessing of God to reach the heavenly Jerusalem where one day we will bless God most perfectly and he will bless us most fully. And when we give God the kind of worship that we give him, actually this new creation, this new, this, this, this new Jerusalem, when we worship the Lord the way he calls us to, that at times breaks down to us and we get in the best of times little foretaste of the ultimate and fullest blessings to come in the new heavens and the new earth. So I leave you with this. If you are here this morning and really you don't have much uh, experience of what I'm talking about because you've never really committed your life to Christ, you know what you need to do? You need to do what God created you to do. You may not be aware of this. Why did God create you? God created you so that in time... You may simply come to the end of yourself and you may, you, may, you may turn from your sin and whether you realize it or not, your rebellion against God because you're not giving him what he's created you to do. And you need to turn to Jesus and when you do that, you will receive the full, satisfying forgiveness of your sins and the rest you so need on this pilgrimage called life. And then finally what you need to do is that when you turn to Christ, you enter into a body like this. And you say, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to bless his holy name. I'm going to be blessing the God who saved me and put me on a different track. Well, the psalm is for every one of us, right? No matter what background we come from. Come bless the Lord, the psalmist says. And if you do... He will bless you with the strength you need to press on. And more than that, along the way, he will give you foretaste of what is to come. And that's meant to energize us and encourage us to keep moving on. This world is not worth it. It's worth knowing. It's worth experiencing. It's worth serving the Lord in. But in the end, it's not worth it. It's going to be burned up, my friends. And we're moving on to the new creation. And we say to that, Lord, until we get there, we're going to bless you. And we also say, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Psalm 134. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, O God, for saving us in Christ. We thank you for filling us with your spirit and opening our eyes to draw us to Jesus. And Father, we pray, if we have never come to that point and we have never known the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, we have never experienced it ourselves, O God, may this be the day of salvation, as the Bible says. May this be the day that we draw near to Jesus and do, O Lord, what you've created us to do, and that is bless his holy name. Now, Lord, we pray as we're about to sing, Lord, may you be blessed by this song and the rest of the worship that we have here yet this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.